As we continue in Lent, we jump forward some seven chapters just before where we were on Transfiguration Sunday. That's why I included that verse one to give us a little marker of where we were. And the disciples leave loved ones and livelihoods behind to follow Jesus. It's not like they're doing this on weekends. It's not like they haven't sacrificed to do this. They've heard him teach in parables. They've seen him heal a woman with chronic bleeding and raise a girl from the dead. They've witnessed him calm a storm, walk on water, and feed two humongous crowds. They've even had a successful mission trip. They were sent out to proclaim the good news of repentance in area villages, healing people, and casting out demons. But not everything is right. The disciples are having trouble understanding the core of Jesus' teaching. They're having trouble understanding what his purpose, his mission is all about. They fail to understand his parables. They fear for their safety in a storm at sea while he's in the boat with them. They misinterpret Jesus' figurative phrase, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and, and Herod, as an indictment of their failure to bring bread for the next trip. This after they had seen him feed him feed two humongous crowds, 5,000 and 4,000 respectively. So, you know, they're not getting it right. To his credit, Peter does get Jesus' identity as Messiah right, but the meaning behind that, he doesn't get right. Things take an ominous turn. Jesus explains that being God's chosen one means he will suffer, die, and rise again. No cloudy riddles, no metaphors, nothing is hidden. This is spoken in clear, plain Aramaic. Peter, out of love for his master and friend, will have none of it. Jesus seems to have lost the plot, at least judging by Israel's past heroes of faith. God's chosen agents were not supposed to die at the hands of their enemies. After all, was Moses slaughtered by Pharaoh at the sea? Was Joshua, Jesus' namesake, put to the sword? Were Othniel, Ehud, Deborah, Barak, Jael, or Gideon killed in battle? Was David crushed by Goliath? Of course not. All of them were deliverers of God's people. God gave them victory, ensuring the survival of God's people for another generation. But Jesus has another kind of path in mind, a different kind of battle from the same set of scriptures. It's a different path to lordship, a different path to life. It's the path of the suffering servant in Isaiah. It's the path of the prophets who suffered and died for the sake of the truth. In fact, Jesus describes Peter's genuine care and concern as a satanic temptation. Imagine that. Best intentions are actually the work of the devil. There's a reason that, there's the, that the phrase... The road to hell is paved with good intentions is a cliche because it's true. Sometimes our best intentions can go so wrong. 
He accuses Peter of failing to perceive godly things and of setting his mind only on human things. Jesus is going to be a different kind of hero of faith. But he doesn't leave it there. Jesus continues with what can only be described as the worst church growth strategy ever conceived from a human point of view. Want to be Jesus' disciple? Do you want to save your life? Do you want to be on board with his program? Then be prepared to follow him down the same path of suffering, dying, and rising again. That, he says, is the path to the life of resurrection, the life of true freedom, the life that really matters. He makes it plain. That's the cost of discipleship. Grace is free, but discipleship is costly, especially to Jesus. Now that flies in the face of how we might think the Christian faith ought to be. In a congregation I served, there was a picture of Jesus in the fellowship hall. One day my mom came to visit, saw the picture, and said to me, wow, looks like Jesus is sitting there at the table saying, have I got a deal for you? That uh, picture quickly became used car salesman Jesus, to my understanding, and I found a, quickly found a place for it in the storage room. It might still be there to this day, who knows. Uh, but that's what we might think Christianity is, a good deal. I believe a few things. I come to church on Sunday. I try to be a good person. Then I go to heaven when I die. Two researchers in the early 2000s found this good deal theology to be at the heart of what the Christian churches are teaching in America, sadly. I don't have to say no to anything. I don't have to make choices. I just try to squeeze the gospel into my very busy schedule the best I can. And if I can't, oh well. After all, we're both sinners and saints, right? I do the best I can and God carries me the rest of the way, right? But that's not what Jesus presents to us. Today, as we continue our series on reconciling hearts, Jesus calls us contemporary disciples to make a choice, to say no to some things so that we can say yes to others. When we follow Jesus Christ, living out our baptismal calling and identity, exercising our God-given gifts of faith, we say no to the world's ways. Retributive violence, revenge, greed, exploitation, comfort, self-glory, and many other things. When we say no to these things, we say yes to the resurrected life, to the new identity in Jesus Christ, to the shalom life. We say yes to Jesus' way of repentance, forgiveness, mercy, and wholeness. We say yes to reconciliation with our neighbors and yes to God, the creator, redeemer, and sustainer of us all. The kicker is this. Our yes is impossible without God's yes. God has to say yes first. The gospel is not another self-improvement program that we can achieve if we only try hard enough. We've 
been down that road plenty of times. I'm sure all of you, I know I've been down that road plenty of times myself. We see this time and time again in the Bible. Without God's yes, Abraham and Sarah continued to try to make the promise a reality by their own efforts. Look no farther than the tragedy of Hagar and Ishmael. Without God's yes, Paul remains in his old life trying to use his religiosity to force the kingdom of God on other people by violence if necessary. Without God's yes, Peter continues to reach for his sword at the first sign of danger. Without God's yes, there really is no point to our constant activity. As the Methodist bishop and Professor Will Williman would call it, false hope for this life only. But God does say yes. God says yes to them, and God says yes today to us, to you and to me. In our baptism, God renews God's yes to our created selves. In saying yes to us, God says no to the powers that would claim us for themselves, that call us to deny ourselves for them. All powers and allegiances are put in their place. Rome called on its citizens also to deny themselves and suffer for the sake of the empire, but that path only led to Rome's glory, a glory that would eventually fade. In following Jesus, we follow a path that our master has walked before us, a path not for personal glory or ambition, not for worldly gain or greed, but for uh, us, for our sake. For the sake of our reconciliation with God and each other, Jesus walked this path. Jesus walked that path which, to our human eyes, led only to death, but came to life on the other side, not just for himself, but for us too. This isn't good deal theology. This is about being called, claimed, and commissioned for Jesus Christ. This is about forgiveness and reconciliation. This is about true faith in life. God's yes to Abraham and Sarah, a yes that was repeated time and time again. This is the third time, by the way, in Genesis that God restates the promise. God's yes to Abraham and Sarah transformed them into agents of God's promise to the world. God's yes to Peter continued to transform him from from bumbling fearfulness to bold truthfulness. God's yes to Paul transformed him from persecutor and murderer into the apostle of God's faith and love in Jesus Christ to outsiders, to Gentiles like us. Without Paul, we are not here. Without Paul's mission, rooted in his identity in Jesus Christ, we probably don't have a Christian church. God's yes to us transforms us as well to live as his people. God's yes saves us. God's yes reconciles us. And in that yes, we fall. Amen.